Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Gorlacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. I am so excited. I am talking today with Kate Pope, aka The Wild Nutritionist on Instagram. I came across Kate because of my friend Kimberly Ann Johnson, who I've taken many courses with. If you don't know her, I'll link her in the show notes. I came across Kate and her her Instagram feed was like music to my ears. So people who listen to my podcast, Kate, they know that I am an ancestral eater. I eat mostly meat. Um, I have great skin for being 55 years old. And people are like, what do you do? And I was like, I eat bone marrow. Mm-hmm. I eat collagenous, like all the, you know, nasty bits that people don't usually like. You call yourself a regenerative nutrition and uh, cooking person. So I want you to jump in, introduce yourself, tell us about your baby, tell us about mama, baby, gut, microbiome, all the things. I don't even know where to start Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you have such good info. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and I'm so happy to be talking with more parents because I became a parent 18 months ago and, you know, I've just been going through the journey like all of you. And I love to share about food because I feel that it makes my parenting easier when I know what foods to feed my baby and how foods, how the body digests nutrients and how foods interact with the body. So I'm really passionate about getting this to parents because I think if we transition the way that we feed um, babies when they start solids, we can really shift the health of humanity. And (laughs) so this is... We can change the world with fatty meat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so amazing um, how much food really impacts our lives. And I always say it's not the only input to making us have happy, healthy, peaceful lives, but it's a really foundational one. You know, food and sleep, when those get messed up, we start to feel really bad. And I have really come to food as a way of community building, as a way of healing my body, as a way of always rooting myself into a place. My husband and I have moved several times and it's just sort of the backbone of our livelihood, really. My husband works as a regenerative butcher and I am a nutritional therapy practitioner and a GAPS practitioner and I'll tell you all about what GAPS is. Both of those trainings have informed me on biochemistry and physiology, how the body works. And then I've learned through my own baby and working with hundreds of mothers with babies and toddlers and young children, how to really put in the foods that make the biggest changes with the least amount of work. And really that comes to relying on the whole animal and also getting to know... I also want to say that you just brought up a, um, I'm an interrupter. So sorry. Love it. (laughs) You, um, you brought up community and I think that feeding our kids this way feels so beautiful. It feels so heartful, you know? And when we have people over and I have a big roast in a Dutch oven with all the, you know, just beautiful fatty meat Everybody feels nourished, and I, I feel like that can't be underestimated either. Just Absolutely. That. Not at all, mm. and especially for moms because we get so run down, and it's like the whole mix of doing 100 million things to keep the family running, doing your job, taking care of your children, all of those 
chores require energy. And when we really rely on nutrient dense foods like fat, we have psychological satiety and physical satiety. And that goes a long way. People really underestimate like what it really means to feel full and nourished and good inside and how much that impacts your life, you know, on the outside. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so what did you learn? So your baby is Augie? Is that yeah, his, name? his name's Augustine yeah. and we call him Augie. And he's 18 months. Yeah. And did you come about this way of eating with him, like as a mother, or did you have this way of eating before motherhood? Before. So I actually prepared my body for two years before having a baby. I had just like the luxury of time and education. I wasn't ready for having a baby yet. And so my husband and I both did a lot of microbiome balancing, nutritional refeeding, which means just like eating a lot (laughs) of really good nutrient dense foods. And then also um, supporting our detox pathways so that toxins from 20 years of a standard American diet uh, could leave the body before conception. So this has been our way of life really since my early 20s when I had adrenal fatigue and um, anxiety and depression that I really wanted to address not using any sort of pharmaceutical, only natural and holistic solutions because I felt that that was just more close to humanity, you know, my own humanness that I wanted to really express fully and not get caught up in Band-Aid solutions. You're blowing my mind right now because you're saying this in your 20s. Now I'm 55. And so I came to ancestral eating about, I don't know, 15 years ago. In my 20s, I was doing like cocaine and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. talk, talk about clogging the system. But also, I just recently, I don't know if you can see, I just got a tick bite. Mm. And so I had to hit it hard with like clearing the pathways, the drainage pathways and keeping the lymph nodes moving. And that's been like my two days. I almost canceled today because I was like, my eyes were looking rough and I was like, no, 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 I'm feeling good now. I, I did all the things I activated charcoal and (laughs) yeah, it's amazing what you can do to help your body, you know, heal and start really just open up things for your body to do exactly what it needs to do. Because that's really what I'm all about. Environmental cleaning up, including your inside environment, your home environment, so that your body can do its job. Because one of the main roles of our microbiome is to support, uh, the detox pathways and help us to clean and be like, um, they're the first line of defense. So they guard us, you know? Right. So with Augie, um, we always had a plan to do nutrient dense foods for him and start solids, the gaps way, which is a very methodical step-by-step introduction of foods that really centralizes the microbiome and gut health first. And I think that's like the most important thing. There's all these other goals out there, like getting your baby to be a diverse eater and, um, preventing allergens, you know, and they go about it in these ways that to me doesn't make sense because it doesn't center the microbiome and the gut, which is where all of those things start to break down. So when we introduce foods this way, you don't have to get a hundred foods before one because you're taking, <laughs> I love that Instagram post you have <laughs> not a hundred, not a hundred foods before one, but like a hundred trillion microbiome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that so that's the spin that I have on it. Like we have this approach where it's like, okay, we got to introduce the allergens, the, the, you know, the most top allergenic foods before one year old. And I'm like, but why would we prick our babies on their back and have them swell up and seat? Like, I just don't understand that approach when we could just build their gut and then they won't have an issue with allergens because their gut so let's is really back this up though for my average listener who yeah. may not be as um 
not, I don't want to say educated, but as informed as you and I are on this subject. Yeah. So the microbiome. So one thing I learned recently from a metabolic uh, conference I went to is that the gut and the brain are one Mm. and then they separate. And so the gut brain access is a real thing. It's not woo woo. It's a real thing. Yeah. What are we talking about when you talk about microbiome or the microbes? What, what does that mean? Yeah. Great question. So And I love what you said about the gut-brain connection because in your first trimester, like you're forming the gut-brain connection and it's really, that's a great time to eat a lot of collagenous meats because that's actually literally like the building blocks are forming in that time or to eat them beforehand because in the first trimester you might be like nauseous and you're like, I can't eat like a bunch of fatty meats, you know? So you got to preload all that stuff so that the body has resources for you. That's a good point because a lot of people in the first, I see that in the comments uh, on your Instagram, but a lot of people is like, I, meat makes me throw up in my first yeah. trimester. And it's like, yeah, but if you're front load, you'll yeah, be good. Exactly. And there's stuff we can do too in that time frame. Also like nausea in the first trimester is a sign of nutritional deficiencies in most cases, um, and liver pathways. So we work on, I work on that with a lot of people and I worked on it with myself. I had to, even all that preparation I do, I did, I still had to work on my liver health and, getting my body to really take in these nutrients. So what's the microbiome? This is such a fun question. The microbiome is a a set of trillions of species of microbes. So we have yeast, bacteria, we have pyrons, we have a bunch of different species that live in our gut. And we want these microbes to be predominantly ruled by probiotic or beneficial microbes. And the beneficial microbes work synergistically with humans to help our bodies do all sorts of functions. So I was talking a lot about the immune system, and that's because 80% so far that we know of our immune system lives in our gut, literally right there with the microbes in our gut lining. So physiologically, where that immune system comes from is in our gut. So when we have a healthy gut, that's when our immune system can function properly. And that's why I correlate it to the allergens, because when we have leaky gut and allergies flow or toxins flow into the bloodstream or food particles, then the immune system says, Hey, something's really wrong here. And I need to flag this food and I need to mount an attack on it. And you have this like ongoing inflammation from a gut that's not closed, healed and sealed. And that is what creates the food allergies that we're seeing so prevalently today. Oh my God, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's really, it's crazy. Like everyone nowadays, like will tell you, you know, straight up like, oh, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. And yeah, that's because we have a really intense uh, world with lots of chemicals, especially in the United States. We go really fast paced lives, a lot of stress. We don't get enough sunshine and our food has been really poor for many years. So myself, I grew up on a standard American diet, which means like bagel bites and Doritos and Dr. Pepper and Diet Coke, you know, like I had, even I find that though, even though if it's not the shitty food, it's like, I tried to do like the 10 servings of grain, like just the, the pyramid, you know, like just following that advice. And that still made me sick. It was too many grains. I was inflamed. Um, it wasn't until I gave those up and ate primarily meat and fat that I was like, wait a minute. I feel good. I don't know, Kate. I don't know if you follow my Instagram, but I am in wicked good shape. Like all I'm doing is I'm active all the time. Yeah. And people are like, oh, at 55, how are you so active? And I'm like, because I eat well. (laughs) 
Yeah, I do follow your Instagram. I saw you doing those pull-ups for Sunday rest. <laughs> I <laughs> love your Instagram. Sunday. <laughs> and yeah, self-care Sunday. And I, you know, I think it's so nice to meet someone who's also convicted about how amazing eating the right foods is. And that's really like, I call it a revolution. You know, it's a revolution that's happening because once it hits you in your own body, you're like, this is so obvious. Why are not more people getting on board? You know, it feels so good to eat this way, but it is a hard transition to make. I mean, it's a lifestyle that is different from pretty much the mainstream, you know? So it's hard, especially with children to integrate these things when they're like served blue cupcakes at school. And like, there's always something marketed to them. And, you know, it's just, you, it's yeah. really hard. I mean, no I think joke. it's super hard as a parent, unless you like from the get go know how to do it. I think it's very hard, but I also see a lot of people say, well, they're going to have cake eventually anyway. So you might as well give it to them on their first birthday. And I'm like, Or we could keep their systems as clean as possible, knowing they're going to go out in the world and have cake or craft macaroni and cheese or whatever. Exactly. So I'm 100% in the camp. Do not give your children sugar for as long as possible. My son will not have sugar. Like it's, I will safeguard that for as long as I possibly can. He does eat honey and he loves honey and it's a great healthy, um, food for us. It's medicine. And so that is a way that he eats sweet things. And we enjoy the sweet life, the good life, but sugar is a drug. (laughs) It's a completely different ball game. And I don't want to go there at all because I know that he is going to have the opportunity to have that later in his life. And just back to that parenting note, it gives him meltdowns. It makes people freak out. And it I just, makes, it makes me cry. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you cry. I'll have like sugar. And then I'll be like, but the yeah. really bad thing happened yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would relate that to yeast overgrowth in the microbiome. So most people, so, yeah. Let's talk about that because I did see, um, a transaction where somebody was talking to you about piggy eating and you shut it down so fast and you were like, piggy eating is like a bad bacteria issue or a micro, a microbiome issue, right? Yeah. So I have a viral video right now where I talk about setting up a baby's palate and microbiome health as the number one priority. And that is what's going to prevent picky eating later in life. And of course people are saying like, Oh, well, yeah, I did all that. And like my baby's three and he's really picking out. Well, selective eating is a development developmentally normal stage. You know, we have opinions, those little toddlers, they're great at sharing their opinions and saying what they want and what they need. And they're very demanding, but there's another element to this that when we have yeast that's overgrown in our system, those yeast, I call them yeasty beasties, they can also be extremely demanding. And some of the symptoms of yeast overgrowth in the body is clinginess, whininess, crankiness, tantrums, um, drunkenness. So it can look like when kids get really slap happy right before bed and they're like walking into walls or like laughing, (laughs) you know, it's like that kind of thing where, you know, like there's a part of the human experience, like, yes, we can experience joy. We can laugh like crazy, you know, but there's also that edge where it's like, is this okay? (laughs) Like, and every parent kind of feels that like, Oh God, like we've really taken a turn here. And what I relate that to is yeast imbalances. So yeast, what we have to understand about them 
is that they are cleansers and they show up in nature and in our bodies to cleanse. So they have a purpose, but it can get really out of balance. And humans, when we eat lots of sugar or when we have microbiome damage like antibiotics or prescription drugs, or in my case, a C-section birth, where Augie didn't get the through the birth canal and seeded with the full microbiome of my, my vaginal canal, he has a blank space where pathogenic microbes can take over. And when antibiotics are used at all, yeast comes in because they start to clean up the situation. They bloom. So the visualization I give with yeast is that, um, you give them bacon of bread. It blooms. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) One drop of sugar that they love to eat. They can grow the size of tube socks, tube socks, grow out of your gut into your joints. That's where like arthritis comes from a lot. So when you say like, I had arthritis, I'm like, okay, she was not feeling comfortable eating the grains. The grains were feeding the yeast. You eat sugar, you start to cry. Okay. The sugar's feeding the yeast, right? Like those things are actually, I think really great awareness points because then we just don't only blame us. It's like, oh, right. There's like a whole system here that's going on. There's other living creatures inside my gut that I need to understand. So when it comes to my son and this particular comment of like, I cut the pancake in half and my kid started crying, I said to that comment, well, something that I specifically teach on is the relationship of grains to yeast overgrowth in the body. And that is really important just as an educational point so that parents can start to see for themselves like, oh, I gave that sugar, I gave that bread, I gave that pasta the next day, the next, even up to two weeks, you can be having food reactions and sensitivities. So Mm -hmm. I love to teach about yeast. I they're not, it's not the bad thing. We don't need to kill candida. We don't need to go after it and attack it. We need to balance the ecosystem. We need to drown that candida with animal fats, and we need to add in beneficial strains of yeast because they are purposeful in the body. They do have a role. And what are those? What are beneficial strains of yeast? Yeah, How would so you get that nutritionally? One of the beneficial strains of yeast that I often recommend to people who um, you know, are just maybe not ancestral eaters is a strain called Saccharomyces boulardii. And you can take that from a supplement. I use smidge supplements. It's a clean brand. It's great. I put it in my baby and my whole family. So Saccharomyces boulardii is one beneficial strain of yeast, but the real kicker where you get the most beneficial strains of yeast and bacteria is in homemade milk kefir, 24 hour fermented from any animal. So it can be camel, sheep, goat, cow, ideally made from raw, grass-fed, grass-finished dairy. And you ferment this kefir with, from live grains for 24 hours, and you get 60 to 70 beneficial strains of yeast and bacteria. So anytime someone comes to me with yeast imbalances, sometimes we have to wait and work up to kefir because it's a very strong probiotic, but we um, always are working towards that goal. So Okay, so first of all, let's do semantics because I've always heard it was kefir. Oh yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So in Europe, is there a proper way to pronounce it? <laughs> totally. In Europe, they say kefir, and in America, we say kefir and tomato, okay. tomato. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then raw live grains. So how about the kefir that you get at like like Aldi's, Whole Foods? They have the Lifeway brand. They have the plain kefir, but they have like strawberry and blueberry. Totally. So the thing about these commercial probiotics on the shelf is that kefir in particular would keep expanding and keep fermenting. So it would explode on the shelf. So after they ferment it, they pasteurize it, which then knocks down a lot of the benefits of it. And so for me, like from a money standpoint, 
from an effort standpoint, from a um, gut tolerating standpoint, I always recommend homemade because it's actually the easiest ferment you can do. You literally just set it on your counter. <laughs> so you have to get and you the grains. Buy the now, I know this because, and you used all those beautiful words, and I'm just a gross hippie who has shit grown on my counters at all times. <laughs> yeah. my, my kitchen's constantly bacteria grown. Um, where, so you get live grains, and you would make that almost like kombucha, right? You yeah, treat it the same way. exactly, but it's easier than kombucha. So yeah. um, kefir, you get those grains. Like I got my grains on a Facebook uh, homesteading group. A neighbor of mine had some. I just put out a call. Hey, does anyone have grains? Because they grow. So they look like little, they're called grains, but they're not grains at all. They look like little cauliflower white beads, you know, they're, and they're squishy and they're alive. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. the more you feed them with milk, the, the more that they will grow. And so eventually if you're a kefir maker, you'll have so much kefir grains on your hand, you'll be like trying to give it away or, you know, you'll have to toss right. some stuff like that. So it's pretty easy to find. You can also get it on Etsy. And it's yeasty. So it takes, um, it, it eats the lactose, right? That's it eats in the milk. lactose and the casein. Okay. Yeah. So anyone who has a lactose intolerance, and this is the whole thing with dairy. Like I teach dairy as a healing food and how to start slowly and integrate this food. I personally don't, I wouldn't live without dairy. Like we just do so much dairy. It's so part of our life and very, very healing. And, um, sometimes people have to start slow and go really slow. Like I'm talking like one drop of kefir every three days and other times, you know, you can get on the train a little bit faster and you will have die off. And that's something I teach about extensively on my page and in my course because talk to us about die off. Yeah. So, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so die off is what it sounds. You know, we've been talking about this living ecosystem inside of us and the, the relationships that the microbes have. And when we invite in more beneficial strains, probiotic strains of bacteria and yeast, that's going to kill the pathogenic overgrowth in your gut. And so what that looks like is symptoms that you already have getting worse for a little bit. Um, in the world of autism, there's like the term of extinction burst and it's kind of like that too. So you'll see like this extinction burst when it's going away, when the symptom is going away, it's, it's expressing itself out of the body. And that's a Mm -hmm. sign that you're getting better. It always gets darker before the light, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And So die off can feel scary, but I mean, when I first introduced Kiefer to my son that we had like the drunken night, like we would give it to him at night and he'd be like slap happy running into the closet, you know, doing all these silly things, like literally almost running into walls. We're like, whoa, okay. He's drunk. Um, (laughs) and um, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And so the other thing, you know, a lot happened in that time frame, but now he's so much better. He's so much healthier. He eats 12 to 24 ounces of kefir daily. He can ingest fruit without any problems, which before he really couldn't, he would have like yeast symptoms. So the, the fruit would be the yeast, even carrots would be the yeast. So mm-hmm. he's now doing really well on starchy vegetables and root vegetables, things that in the beginning of his baby, baby life, trying solid foods, really showed me that like, okay, he can't digest this yet. And I was okay with that because I knew it was a journey. I knew that he would get there and be no problem. And he was crushing it with liver, meat, um, meat stock, organ meats. Yeah. Yeah. But let's go back a little bit. So first of all, with the, with the kefir, which is so funny because I eat kefir once in a while and it's so good and creamy and like delicious. And so one day, I don't know, like six months ago, I drank like half the bottle 
Mm. And my stomach got to be like, I looked like eight months pregnant. Mm. I was farting. I like you could hear all the bacteria going like. You had a lot of gurgling. I overfed. (laughs) But what you're talking about with Augie is like he struggled. So I'm kind of new to you. And so I thought you had, I thought he never had problems. So he did have problems, but you said something a little while ago that you had a C-section mm-hmm. and you missed out on the birth canal. Yeah. Now, I know that to be true, but a lot of moms take that as judgment. Like, oh, oh I didn't give my baby the right starting bacteria. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about that? Because I think it's just a cut and dry thing if we take away the judgment. Oh yeah. That is such a tender place because I can tell you, like I had so much heartbreak over my birth and that's like a whole nother two hour podcast. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, so I started, I was a home birth transfer and I started, um, my midwife suggested that we transfer because of my son's heart rate. And so once we got to the hospital, they, suggested a C-section like pretty quickly. And I am unsure if it was a true emergency or not. And I respect all the moms who feel like that it really was a true emergency. And I also hold that space for the moms who feel like, you know, I was kind of coerced into this or it wasn't what I wanted. It seems like they rushed me. They rushed the decision. They implanted fear in my partner's mind and everyone was afraid. And that's the outcome. So there is a physiologic process when the baby goes through the birth canal, not only with the microbes that they take in and swallow, really the first inoculation of their microbiome, which is very important. And as you probably understand, C-sections are a relatively new um, measure that's taken in birth and the C-section rates are increasing. So 10 years ago, C-section rates were lower than what they are now. I think in the United States, we're about 35%. And there are places in the world where it's up to 80% cesarean birth. And what this is meaning is that babies aren't getting their first breath of microbes, which come from the vaginal canal because they're getting taken out a different way. And so there's also things that are involved in that process, like, you know, the cardinal movements and just things that it's the start to our life. You know, we're supposed to go through that. And so when I work with adults or babies, we always talk about what happened at birth because it's a seeding point for life. And so I don't want anyone to feel like they've done wrong or bad if they had a cesarean birth. I just want them to know from the perspective of our microbiome, what they can do to help their babies, because this is really impacting children. This is a huge impactor of, um, any, symptoms or set of symptoms that arise from the gut, like picky eating or autism or digestive yes. issues or colic. Okay, let's stop right there, you guys, because I want you to rehear what Kate just said. There is no judgment. We just need to know. Exactly. We need to know what's missing so we can help replace it. And we can also explain some of these things that we think, oh my God, I just have a difficult kid. I have a picky eater. I have a kid with these symptoms. And if we start tracing back 
and just be investigative about it and observational, not judgy, not like I couldn't breastfeed. I had a C-section. Now I'm fucked. No, that's not what we're saying. Exactly. (laughs) Like there's always a place of repair. Like I come from that. There's so many factors as to why things turn out the way that they do. And where I meet a lot of moms is at the struggle point and at the like, I don't know what else to do here. And so I say, okay, well, let's try this. Let's try this really simple time-honored food, start really slowly and help to rebuild your baby's digestive system. That's a foundational point for people to start from. Um, did I explain the microbiome birth thing well enough? Do you want me to say a little yeah, bit more no, about that? Yeah, no, I think that? so. I think like for my audience, um, and probably a lot of new people listening, what can we do? Like, let's say we fucked it all up and now we got a two-year-old who's a picky eater. We, we've done everything. We're busy. Yeah. We're busy moms. We're, um, we're, we feel like we're drowning. The mm-hmm. only thing our kids will eat is whole foods, uh, granola bars, which are fucking crap, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've yeah. gotten ourselves into a corner. How do we, how do we back it up? What could we do? What are some baby steps? Cause I'm whole hog, but my audience doesn't like that. Cause I'm like, <laughs> throw in all the food, like yeah. <laughs> start over. But, but I know you have a better approach. Well, I, so I teach three methods, three different ways that you can start to change, um, what your children are eating. And I will say that even if you feel like your, your child is three, your child is five and it's too far gone, it's really not. And there's always a place to start. There's always another mom who's gone through what you've gone through. And even moms who have used what I teach to help their children heal. I think it does take a real reckoning in general and a real look at like, what am I actually willing to change about my lifestyle to help my child? I really think it does take that an honest look and it takes a slowing down, but everything doesn't have to change at once. So let's talk about those. I like that though. The (laughs) reckoning and the slowing down, I think are the two things like you have to be willing to be really honest with yourself, not have shame or judgment on yourself, but say, okay, this is how I fucked it up. I, I didn't know better or whatever, however the circumstances came to be. Right. Well, part of the reason why I started to be more vocal around babies and children and like this time of starting solids is because I left the hospital with them telling me like, take laxatives and take Tylenol, both of which neither of those things I wanted to do. And I tried to like Google a couple things. My son spit up every day, which is related to yeast, by the way. Um, (laughs) and I like Googled a couple things and I was like, this is crap information. Like this is horrible. And like how many moms are going through this and struggling and just feeling like they just, there's no hope. There's no solution because we don't have a medical system that's like teaching, you know, well, they don't know. They truly don't know like lifestyle things that can actually really help you. And that's one of the great things about Instagram and like where the platform has, um, you know, taken a turn in the past decade because, or five years, maybe like there's a lot of education you can get on there. Anyway, we don't need to beat ourselves up anymore as mothers. We already have like enough opportunities to do that. So don't right. take what I'm saying and start to like beat yourself up. Just let's whatever sticks for you in this conversation, like start there and start working on that. And like, just know that your due diligence will actually start to shift things. So the three ways that I teach for helping a picky eater for helping older children is using applied behavioral analysis. So you can do like a reward system for foods. That's one option. Um, you can 
start to integrate foods slowly, just offer things like meat stock, offer things like organ meats, scrambled eggs with plenty of ghee, healing, savory foods. The third method is you can go cold turkey and completely get rid of all the foods in the house that are feeding the pathogenic overgrowth and you set up a time. I actually recommend like parents getting on this protocol themselves before starting it with children, but setting up a weekend where two parents can be home and you just hold the line. There is no other food. It's ugly, but it is effective. <laughs> That's and I, have to say, I just yeah. want to put it out there. I am not a fan of ABA. So just everybody take that with a grain of salt. Um, yeah. Because I'm pretty vocal about not being a fan of ABA, That's the Applied really Behavior Analytics. Yeah. Great that you brought that up because my husband worked as an Applied Behavioral Analysis for 10 years and I really didn't like it either. And I do know that like, so I teach GAPS, which is something I've name dropped a couple of times. There are certain people in that group who have had a lot of success with the reward system and we don't use rewards that are related to food. Um, and a lot of people will say things like, oh, is it bribing? you know, it can get complicated for sure. And I think that, um, in some cases it works and in other cases it doesn't. And like my husband's moved on from that career because it didn't work for him yeah. doing, you know, like we were working with children with autism, giving them hot tamales. It's like, wait, <laughs> we're like missing the point here. You know, was like we're getting <laughs> right, in these right, right. deep, deep discussions right. about it. Um, and I'd be curious to know like what you specifically don't like about it as well. I just don't like rewarding behavior in that way. I think it's too cut and dry. And I think yeah. what I see, particularly as a potty training expert or as a potty training, quote unquote, yeah. expert, um, uh, parenting expert, I just see it get really muddy about the rewards instead of the behavior changing. And I always think there's a root cause, whether it's our boundaries, our shit. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted you on is because I am all of a sudden up against, I'd say the last three years, four years behavior that I've never seen that is not fixed by typical psychotherapy parenting techniques. And I'm going, something's wrong with our kids microbiome. Something is wrong. There's heavy metal detox. I don't know what's going on, but I'm seeing such crazy behavior. And I'm a parent coach. I work with parents on boundaries, making sure bedtime's okay. You know, like all the regular things and it's not working. And so I put ABA in that of like, yeah, it used to be, we could offer a sticker chart it's, it's not working. (laughs) These kids are really crazy. There's like craziness going on. And the thing that I see, I call it hot. To me, they look inflamed. Mm -hmm. Their brain's on fire or their body's on fire. They're so overreactive, so sensitive in, in a way that like brings down the entire community. And I'm like, Mm. Oh my God, we're all sensitive, but we shouldn't be that sensitive. So, um, so yeah, so that's my problem with ABA and that's why I am much more a cold Turkey person, (laughs) even though I know that that doesn't work for a lot of people, but it's like potty training. If cold Turkey taking off the diaper doesn't work, what happens is you lose sight of the goal. And pretty right. soon your kid's in a diaper till they're six. And you're right. like, what, what the hell just happened? And I feel like, yeah, like make small changes. But if you're just buying all the same food and your kid's not actually making a change, then I feel like you can lose sight of the goal. Absolutely. And I love that what you just said about, you know, ABA being kind of like this old style that's not working anymore because our problems are a bit bigger. 
And I had really like full body chills because I see it too. And I see children. I'm just like, I, I can't believe it. Like I can't even think about giving a 18 month old hot chocolate from Starbucks, but like, it's so normal to do that, you know? And so we're not really caught up to like what has unraveled out of control about our food and the chemicals in our food and what that's doing to the body and what, what, what has happened generationally. So like what we just talked about with the C-section births, like you might be an adult who was born by C-section and that might've been an aha moment for you of like, Oh my God, is that why I've had gut issues my whole life? I never, what, how could I have not connected that dot? And then you have a compromised microbiome, which is then passed on to your baby. So we're seeing like generations of nutritional deficiencies and a degradation of the microbiome, which is essential to our health over time being passed on and passed on. And that's why we're at this detriment that we are today. And we're, our children need to eat for repair. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. But I think you just said a really important word too, which was degradation. And I think I might've learned it from you that we're carrying, I'm carrying my grandmother's stuff yeah. and my grandmother to my mother and now to me. And so of course my son's going to get the degradation over the years of all those things. So it's not necessarily that we're doing something to our kids. Right. It's their suffering for generations in. Yes. And, and I really like to point people, like if our environment is sick around us, our bodies are sick too. Like that's just what we're human, human nature. Like we're humans in nature. That's just, if our oceans are polluted, so are our bodies. That's just how humans work. But we have a system that can help us be well and live well. And that is our microbiome, our liver and our other, you know, our colon, our, our organs that help us, our lymph that helps us to move things out of the body. But we have to put input. We have to input things that really help those systems thrive. Do you know Gabor Monte? Mm-hmm. You must know his. Yeah, 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 yeah. So his like, because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. And that yeah. like, what is it like being well in a sick society doesn't mean you're well. Right. <laughs> it just made me think of that when you were talking. Um, all right, let's talk about GAPS really fast. Totally. GAPS is an acronym which stands for gut and psychology or gut and physiology syndrome created by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, and it connects all symptoms to the health and state of our gut. So GAPS nutritional protocol is a protocol that implements different foods and lifestyle changes to help rebuild the gut and microbiome. Yeah, it's pretty severe. So it starts off with like meat broth, right? And yeah, so there's the there's a couple different ways that you can use the gaps. There's a lot of different ways you can use the gaps nutritional protocol. Um, and that's happened because since Dr. Natasha has developed the system for healing, a lot of different practitioners have worked with different people, different symptoms and in different ways. The GAPS introduction protocol, which you do not need to start with, it's called introduction protocol because it that delineates that you start with um, the easiest food to digest and you move to the more challenging foods to digest. But you can go on full GAPS diet and have so much healing, which is what I teach in my courses. I teach full GAPS, and that's the most liberal list of foods that are allowed. And the reason that we eliminate any food on the GAPS nutritional protocol is because we don't want any sugars or starches that will feed pathogenic overgrowth. So we're doing a bit of starving those um, bad bad bugs and bringing in beneficial probiotic microbes, and a lot of nutrient-dense foods. All right, hold on. Pathogenic overgrowth, you've said that several times, and I just want to simplify that for the audience. So 
Yeah. That I like to think of, did you ever see The Little Mermaid? Yes. Like when there's the poor unfortunate souls and they're like, okay. ah, like that's yeah. how I think of that overgrowth. <laughs> yeah, totally. They're just like little bugs who are hungry for a certain thing. And if we keep feeding them the things that make them grow, that's where the pathogenic overgrowth comes in, correct? Yeah. Like anytime we have a wipeout of beneficial microbes, because beneficial, my, like a beneficial probiotically run or um, driven microbiome is the state of health. That's like where humans, that's our starting point. So anytime we wipe out those beneficial microbes with antibiotics, that's an opportunity for pathogenic, or we also call them opportunistic microbes. They just come in and they do their little job. So like I named yeast, which in a healthy microbiome has a role is really important, but it's also, if it's overgrown or imbalanced, that creates problems and symptoms in the body. Perfect. I love that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're fancy words. I just want to make sure everybody's clear yeah, on what totally. fancy words Thanks mean. for clarifying. <laughs> and then, um, so going back to the gaps, um, because I've had actually a couple of clients whose doctors have recommended as four-year-olds, they go on the gaps diet. Amazing. However, I think it's amazing. However, they did it as like a panacea and they were like, yeah, just eat chicken. Broth. Mm. Like the doctors didn't really actually know what they were recommending. Okay. So, um, what would be indicative that somebody like a little, a little one, especially might need something like the gaps protocol? Would it be, you know, the picky eating, the anger, would it be any of these symptoms we've talked about the whole podcast? Yeah. So I actually would put everyone on the gaps nutritional protocol pretty much. I mean, just because everyone is showing some symptom, you know, it can be anything like a headache. It can be chronic immune problems. It can be hay fever. It can be environmental allergies. So just like as an elimination diet, let's like get to ground zero. So the difference between gaps in a typical elimination diet and the way that it's taught, I think, is that we have a huge emphasis on what's put in rather than what's taken away. So okay. when it comes to thinking about starting the gaps nutritional protocol, you want to really emphasize what I call the five healing foods, which is meat stock and meat close to the bone. So for those of you who are like, what's that? Meat close to the bone is exactly what it sounds like. Wings, legs, thighs, necks, back, feet, shank. Food. Yeah, exactly. All the, we call them nibbly bits. So like pieces on the bone where you can like sit and gnaw it. Babies like to do that. Um, you just make sure there's not too many parts that can fall off and they can help healthily gnaw that bone. Um, so meat stock and meat close to the bone. And if you want to learn more about meat stock, I have a free guide in my Instagram pinned right to the top organ meats. So this is a big one for people because it's like, what I have, you know, organ meats, but actually your grandmother probably ate liver. I talked about, um, liver to my grandmother and she's like, Oh yeah. When my son had jaundice at the, from the hospital, like they told me to eat liver and it worked, you know? So it's like, there's actually a lineage here that is getting lost, more and more lost. We just need to remember it for ourselves. Animal fats, egg yolks, and let's see, meat and meat close to the bone, meat stock, animal fats, organ meats, bone marrow, and yolks. So those are the top five healing foods you really want to emphasize when you are doing full gaps, because on full gaps, like you can have nuts and you can have honey and you can have fruit. So yeah, you could start full gaps and just like focus, swap out all the treats that you used to have as like grains and make them gluten-free. But that's not really what's going to heal the body. What's going to heal the body right. are these animal foods that pack a punch, that support the immune system, helps the liver. 
regulates blood sugar, supports digestion, like that is what heals the body using this protocol. And then there's other things involved like lifestyle changes, um, such as like getting 20 minutes of sunshine every day with no sunscreen, you know, like that's, that's really truly it. Putting your feet on the grass, you know, a non-sprayed clean piece of grass <laughs> near I've you. I've like, been following so many people with the same philosophy that like, these are all no brainers to me. Like that, the idea that that's the gaps protocol is laughable to me. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's what I eat. Like, that's yeah. just what I eat, <laughs> you know? Um, but I can't, we cannot underestimate the putting your feet on the earth, sunlight in the morning, uh, yeah. no led lights at night, you know, the blue light blockers, right. I, they've been instrumental. Yeah. 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 I know. That's what I talk like. Cause a lot of people will ask me like, Oh, is this safe on breast, you know, while breastfeeding? And that's, there's a big common misconception out there because you know, the gaps diet, uh, will help your body detox. So a lot of people will be feel afraid while they're breastfeeding, like, Oh, it's going to kick up, you know, toxins and help my body detox. But like, it's really just real food. Now the introduction protocol, I don't recommend while breastfeeding just because it's more intense and like you need more calories anyway. So go for full gaps, but that's where I feel like, you know, Oh, it's just food. Like you don't need to fear food. Food is really good for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love that too. At the bottom of it. It's so funny too. Cause I, I think I'm, I present so intense to people that they're like, I've had people call me orthorexic and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not orthorexic. Like it's second nature to me yeah. to care about what's in my food, you know? And you had even said a little while ago, like people don't, realize where the food production's gone. I remember when my son was little, I cared about seed oils, but they were in two things. Right. Very easily avoidable. And then in the last 17 years, they're in everything. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, um, I think it's really good to hear these like little things so that, I don't know, you don't ever want to fear food or be orthorexic or be so obsessed that like now you're creating stress because that's not good either. Well, and like you mentioned the root causes earlier, like if, if a healing protocol or a nutritional implementation or a diet, as we can call it, um, is going to kick up that old traumatic pattern for you, then that is probably a signal that you should do some other work first or work with someone to help you manage that as you're going along, Mm. you know, because like you meant, you know, root cause, like what is the root cause that's, you know, putting this into a restrictive eating category for you and making it be self-sabotage because it really shouldn't be that at all. It should be like abundance and, you know, eating and eating and eating until we feel full and like, Oh my gosh, I'm eating more meat than I've ever eaten in my life. I can't believe it but I feel so good. You know, that kind nourish, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nourish <laughs> and sleeping well and like outside time and meeting your farmer. Like that's what I really want to emphasize for people. Like this is a, actually a lifestyle change. Right. And there's not really a way to do it another way, but that's what like we're call, being called for to do. I don't know. To me, it's like too, like I it's homesteading, I feel like has gotten romanticized on Instagram, but it's so much fun to like go to meet your farmer. And like, yeah. big, I said, um, uh, two podcasts ago, I was like, honestly, it's winter. I just want to be barefoot and pregnant. Mm. I'm 55. I'm not, that's <laughs> not happening, but I want to be like in the kitchen cooking. And just like, mm. when you do make that lifestyle change, I think it feels so uh, nourishing, so helpful. So and I don't know. Yeah. And yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, Ms. Kate, I don't want to keep you any longer. Let everybody know what are your courses? Mm-hmm. Where can they find you? 
Tell us all the things. Awesome. So Wild Nutritionist is my Instagram, and my website is regenerativecookingschool.com. I have a course, which is called Mama Baby Biome, and that is where I teach introduction of solids for babies, picky eating, how to implement the GAPS nutritional protocol, how to troubleshoot things, how to deal with die-off, how to support your baby's detox pathways and your own. And we also have a lot of cooking lessons in that course. So I teach, um, you know, how to apply these nutrition skills in your home at the kitchen table, you know, which is the most How to important eat organ part. for you and your three. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you know, liver is honestly my baby's favorite food. It shocks mm-hmm. me. It shocked me more than once. Cause you know, you think like, Oh yeah, he'll like it, but he loves it. It's number one. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So they know what they need. The body knows what, what it needs. I am always astounded by that. My body, it's so funny because whole foods has, um, 12 for 12 oysters on Friday. And I get it's that like, every week. my body needs the zinc. So like I go to Whole Foods, like a crazed meth head. I'm like, I need my oyster. That's so funny. Yeah. Like last Friday I was like, there was, I was debating on going between two grocery stores and I kept being like, go to Whole Foods, go to Whole Foods. And then I was driving and I was like, oh, it's Friday. That's why you want to go to Whole Foods. So you can get oysters. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. I so appreciate you being here. I could talk to you forever. I feel like there were still 8 million rabbit holes we didn't go down. But guys, go see her. Go um, Wild Nutritionist on Instagram. Get her courses, particularly the picky eating, the baby uh, gut microbiome. These are all so important. It was so fun to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources... I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.